1: Watch the best baseball highlights and look ins on MLB Big Inning. MLB At Bat is your all in one live baseball subscription for only 3 dollars per month. Deep
3: left field, it's gonna go! Alvarez
2: ties
1: the game! Subscribe to At Bat within the MLB app today. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. Sunday Skate with Scott McLaughlin and Andrew Razor Raycroft. Brought to you by Shaw's and Star Market. Perfecting the art of fresh on WEEI.
2: Hughes. Patterson to Grolick. Miller.
1: Grolick teases it up and scores! Besser around the boards. Miller to Hughes. To Miller. And a tip held by Besser. The Bruins blow a two-goal third-period lead.
2: Defeated
3: in overtime. Alright, welcome into Sunday skate. Here we are, another week, talking about another blown, blown lead for the Bruins.
0: Just in what? time. <laughs> Look who it is.
3: We got we got Razor. Just walked At in. We got, we got Bridget. I'm your host Scott McLaughlin. I've got Nico behind the glass, and looks like it's going to be a great road win for the Bruins. They're going to have five or six points on the road trip. All they got to do is hold on to a two-goal lead in the third period against the Vancouver Canucks, and they can't do it. They end up losing in overtime, three to two. They give up another extra attacker goal, and we sat here last week and collectively we. We weren't super concerned, but we were like, they they have to figure it out. Last Saturday, they blew a lead against the Kings, lost that game in overtime. Wednesday night in Edmonton, they blew a 4-1 lead and then a 5-4 lead in the third period. Now that game, they won in overtime. But here we are, third time in five games, they've blown a multi-goal lead. It's been a problem all season. They have eight Losses when leading after the second period, most in the NHL. And my question to kick things off here is when does it go from they just have to find a way to fix this to they can't fix this. And it's a fatal flaw because I am just about there, guys. No, 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 no. He we came
0: can't. in so pessimistic this morning, Razor. Like, so pessimistic. I was yeah, like, I'm I can't ga- wait for Razor to just like, I'm going to be the one who disagree. has to be talked
3: off the ledge here this morning. Yeah, no
2: fatal flaws yet. So... Are we sure? <laughs> yes, positive. Because <laughs> all it takes is one lucky bounce in game four of the playoffs to get out of the round, and all of a sudden you say, oh, they're six on five. It's a beautiful thing. Or So for me, I separate the losses or the leads from six on five because you look around the league there's tons of teams losing leads in games like it's inevitable last night Edmonton was down three nothing they're three two like it's a game and then they they blow it from there but every night every single night in the National Hockey League teams are blowing two or three goal leads now the issue with the Bruins and there is an issue is six on five that is is the issue. That's what's leading into those eight losses in, in after uh, a third period. Now, only one of those is regulation. So again, that leads again to, they're not blowing leads prior to six on five. They're blowing a lot of leads because of six on five. And and I think that stat of seven regular or seven overtime losses after leading after three is, is, or after two is the issue to six on five. And we saw it in game seven. We saw them not being able to do it. It goes all the way back to that because if they close out game seven, six on five, then they're start they're still playing hockey from last season. And for me it's six on five has to be fixed. It has to be looked at. It has to be dissected to the to the absolute minuscule because for some reason they can't close out. And every other team in the league closes out six on five, except for the Las Vegas Golden Knights who are tied or one ahead of Bruin, 6 on 5 goals which is also interesting.
0: Yeah, and and you would think they would be decent at that because they have a good penalty kill, right? It's similar well, you're down had, one guy, had, had a good penalty kill good and, penalty and that's down. really and that's really what it comes down to. It's like, okay, usually a good penalty killing team is also pretty good um with the other team's extra attacker on the ice and, you know, clearing the puck, getting it out of the zone. But they have they had a lot of trouble getting it out um uh, with the extra attacker on the ice. They lost two faceoffs both with Zaka on the ice for those last two goals. And that that's another issue as well. They, you know, they're usually pretty good at faceoffs, but if you don't win the draw, you have to find a way to get possession and get the puck out.
3: Yeah, the the faceoffs there are an issue. Leaving guys uncovered at the front of the net has been an issue on a few of these. Uh you saw that last night with you know, one of them Besser gets open off a faceoff. Forwards a little slow getting over. Another one, Besser set up in front and allowed to screen Swayman. Uh, I think Carlo had a stick tied up and not didn't get the body out of the way. Then the overtime winner, it's, it's a power play, which I think another issue in these has been some really costly penalties by the Bruins. Uh, bad times, mental mistakes. In this case, it's Jake DeBrus jumping on the ice way too early for a too many men. Uh, and again, it's Besser ends up with with too much space at the front end, Bruins couldn't couldn't deny the pass into him. Didn't have a stick tied up. So there's a lot of issues here. I think to get through, Razor. I'm gonna push back on on you separating the comebacks from the six on from the six on five extra attacker situations because to me they are connected. I think it's the same idea of. They're getting backed up too much. They're getting too conservative. And it's starting to snowball downhill on them, and they can't stop it. And I think that's culminating in the six-on-five, giving up that extra attacker goal. But to me, it's starting before that. I mean, they were hemmed in that entire third period. And even after Vancouver gets one, you're thinking, maybe that lights a spark under them. Maybe they get more aggressive, get back into this. They still ended up in their own zone. They couldn't recover from that. And then it it almost feels inevitable with this team at this point that it's just going to keep rolling downhill on them until they get give up that extra attacker goal. And I, we're going to get into, you know, trade deadline stuff, uh, some interesting discussion from the likes of Elliot Friedman and Jeff Merrick this week about Lena Salmark with the Bruins' listen on him. Where it leads to me is, you know, I have generally been of the mind that, like, you're going to kind of play out this year, maybe make a couple minor moves. I now wonder if, like, a bigger shakeup is on the table before this deadline, uh, especially involving guys who maybe aren't part of your future plans because it, it does feel to me like it's almost in this team's DNA and, like, in their heads that they just can't close out these games. It's what cost them in the first round against Florida last year. And they've had all season to try to get this figured out, and it's still a problem.
2: It's, uh, I think, I think it's so unfair and, and so far fetched to say it's in their DNA, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, because they have 81 points. They're literally the they're they have the second most points in the National Hockey League through Understood. 59 games in in this season, and so that means there's literally 30 other teams that would love to have. The record that the Bruins have in the National Hockey League right now. So so to go that these guys can't close, they can't finish like they finished thirty-four other games um that, that no one else has finished. So I, I I agree there's issues and I agree that six on five has been a problem and uh last night certainly they sat back way too much. I don't think sitting back has been their their issue every single time that they've lost after the third period, I think it's been a bunch of different things. Uh so so yeah, it, I think it's it's it just it's it's a little knee jerky because of what's happened this week and in, in the last 8 days. And now all of a sudden um the the DNA of this team is broken when the fact is they have almost this, the most amount of points in the league.
0: And I think another thing that correlates with the the losses and the the not extending leads and and that's, you know, another reason why you're allowing teams to get back in is the, that they haven't been successful on the power play. So they mm-hmm. get four chances against Vancouver. I went back, did the math in the four games since we had the last Sunday skate, they're one for 11 on the power play. That's 9%. That's not good. They, um And they're, they can even
3: extend that to the, they're three for 34 since the all-star break, which is like, it's like the same. It's like 8.8%. Like,
2: yeah, that's not good enough. And, and, and again, you go, all of these games are one goal games. All if you get, if you get three more power play goals, now there's three games they didn't blow leads, or three games we're not yeah. talking about it, and and three more points. So um, again, it, it's it's broader than just um, one, two of these little things that were. It, it is it is a whole thing. It, it, when you're three, three, and four, and which again you can back into it. They have uh, seven losses in their last ten games. I mean that doesn't feel good, and anyone. Following the team doesn't like the loss, whether it's an overtime or shootout or in regulation, it's a loss. Is a loss, even if you uh, can accept the point. Some nights it's still a loss. So I understand the 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 fact that people are upset about it. Uh, I just it's just a you got to be careful about making a knee jerk um, on this when you start talking about the DNA needs to get changed and now we have to blow the thing up at the deadline. That's that's my
3: uh, I don't. I don't want to blow it up. I wouldn't use that word, but shake it up. I think that should be on the table. Like, just something that changes the look a little. Just something that gives them a different feel going forward. Um, Because if they more or less stand pat, maybe it's a depth move somewhere. What is this team's ceiling? Because it it doesn't feel like a Stanley Cup team to me. And I, I understand where they are in the standings. I understand they've won a lot of games. They have a lot of points, but you can't blow leads in the playoffs. You have to close these games out. And again, we're now going on three quarters of a season and the playoffs last year, where this has been an issue. And well, I just we think-
2: can't do the pl- we can do the playoffs last year for the sake of like the conversation, but you can't do it when you're talking about roster. Because they literally have three centers that were in the lineup last year in Game Seven that aren't in the lineup now, so you, you can't you can't do both when it comes to roster construction. Because they have changed the roster significantly since Game Seven last year.
3: Sure, but it, it's it's a lot of the same guys. It's the same coaching staff. So like it's, Fire it's the still, coach. No, I'm not okay. going. I'm not going <laughs> there okay, yet. Just making sure. Not going there yet. Uh
0: have we had that? Have we had callers? Calling into the other shows saying, Fire <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm sure you can find them. It might be
3: coming. I mean, might yeah, call, call in if you want to do that. Yeah. <laughs> 617 six, 779 7937. Um, no, but they, they haven't been able to to solve this problem. And I get, like, you You don't. If you're going to trade Lena Salmark. say, like, if you're going to do something that big, you have to get this great return well, I don't know, can, can you quote-unquote lose the trade and still come out with a different look that works better down the stretch? Or or, or someone else. You know, they have pending free agents. Grizzlik, Forbert, DeBrusque. Like I think sometimes these shake-up moves or moves that just change the look of your team a little can benefit you. And I would point to the 2011 Bruins. It, on a player-for-player player basis, they did not win the Blake Wheeler for Rich Peverly trade. Blake Wheeler was a better player than Rich Peverly. But Rich Peverly was more what that team needed. He fit a bigger need on that team and played the way that they wanted to play. 2004 Red Sox traded away Nomar garcia Par was by far the best player that got moved in the series of trades they made. It was a huge shakeup, and it paid off. So that's where I come at it as it's not blowing it up. I'm not trading away, like, my captain. Like, I'm not doing anything that stupid. I'm saying shake it up. I'm saying like give this team a different look because I don't think their ceiling is is Stanley Cup team the way that they're constructed right now and the way that they keep blowing these leads.
0: I'm very proud of you for getting in a NoMar Garcia Par reference. Okay. I'm I'm ha- I didn't think that name would good. ever come up really on the good. Skate podcast, but he was my favorite and I was devastated by that <laughs> trade. So thanks for bringing that up, Scott. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I think that we'll get more into this because I think we got to hit trending soon. But Scott has a lot of feelings about this that he told me about before we got on the air. Glad we have two hours. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. he, he's written about it this week. And, uh, and there was some trade rumors involving Allmark once again. It, it, it cropped up last year. It's cropping up again. Um, so we'll, we'll talk about whether or not we think that, uh, you know, there's, there's some talk going on with management about the possibility of really actually um, trying to trade him away.
3: Yeah, I want to, want to get to that next. Uh, again, you can call in 617-779-7937. Let us, let us know how you feel. Are, do you want a big trade? Are you more optimistic with Razor? You think they can, can play through it? Or are you feeling pessimistic like I am? Uh, you can also text us, 37937. Bridget's got you trending, and we'll be back after this.
1: Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced.
2: You're listening to Sunday Skate on WEEI.
1: Teams out there do believe that the Bruins are trying to upgrade their roster. And all you have to do is look at what they are capable of and say, it's not coming out of the draft. Do they really want to deal their top prospects, some of whom have already played in the NHL? I don't think so. So if they want to make changes, it probably has to come off their roster. And that's why I think people are looking at Allmark. Okay,
3: that is Elliot Friedman on the 32 Thoughts podcast, talking about the Bruins' options as they approach the trade deadline. And, you know, what, what he doesn't mention there, but what is also worth mentioning as far as yeah, if the Bruins are going to bring in anyone of significance, they have to trade off the active roster. The other part of it is they have no cap space. So there has to be money in, money out. Like, it has almost an exact match. Um, so he's talking about Allmark coming up, and he's not reporting that the Bruins are shopping Allmark or that a trades likely or anything like that. He's, I think, mostly speculating, but based on, you know, some whispers he's heard, uh, you know, Elliot Friedman doesn't just make things up. He doesn't just throw things out there that, that aren't at least being discussed in some hockey circles somewhere around the league. So that caught my ear this week because it, it feels like that is a little bit of a shift uh, from other things that we've heard, you know, especially locally. It feels like we, we all kind of just take it for granted that they're not going to trade a goalie in season. If it's going to happen, they're going to wait till the summer. And, this talk kind of even before Saturday's loss, sort of opened my mind to the possibility that, hey, maybe maybe that is the route to go. If they feel like they need, you know, to add a significant player, Linus Salmark is a valuable asset. He has a five million dollar cap hit that does free up a good chunk of money. Is it on the table, Razor? What do you what do you make of this coming up? Well,
2: if, it's e- it's easy. Right. It's easy. It's easy for, uh, cause this started with biz, right? And, and biz is the best and, and, uh, what he's done and, and how he's built that whole thing, uh, is nuts. Uh, but biz brings it up this week. Now, Elliot seems to have to kind of piggyback it, uh, because that's the talk this week and he's on hockey night in Canada. I don't, I don't understand. And no one's been able to explain this to me. No one's been able to, to, to tell me what, Linus Allmark's worth. That's the, and that's that's where it begins and ends for me because I don't see how any other team is going to value Linus Allmark more than what the Boston Bruins value Linus Allmark right now. Um, I can I think the narrative and people want Linus Allmark to be traded because you say significant asset, right? Is that is that a? a t- I think people think that Linus Allmark is worth is, is going to get traded for a top six forward or a top four defenseman. And, and that's not going to happen folks like that. That's not what he is worth to everybody else. You're not trading him for Leon Dreisaitl or like, the, you know, like that was literally the talk at the start of the year. Well, maybe you'll be able to get Dreisaitl's contract c- coming up. Like maybe you get Linus Allmark for Leon Dreisaitl. Like that's not the, the case. You're not getting Linus Allmark for Noah Hannafin straight up. That's not that that isn't going to be what the value is for Linus Allmark. And that so that's that's where it kind of begins and ends for me is that you're not you can't trade Linus Allmark midseason or Jeremy Sway, any goalie that is important to you for a second round pick in the middle of the season. Yeah, I, I just don't know how that's possible. Uh, I don't you don't trade him for a prospect. Uh, I would agree with you if you could get a top six forward or a top three D for one of these goaltenders, you do it but I, that's that's just not the case because the New Jersey Devils need a goaltender more than anybody. Uh, there's four or five other teams that could use a goalie, but you look at the New Jersey Devils. They, they're not making a trade for anybody. They're just happy to, to use a three-goalie rotation because they don't value a goaltender as much as all the other teams do.
3: So I will note, two years ago, Marc-Andre Fleury did get a first-round pick midseason. So it, it's it's... The goalie trades midseason are are rare, but there are examples where teams that have felt like they're goalie short have have splurged and have given up a real asset.
0: Yeah, and do you have the other side of that trade in front of you? Like the the um like was it just straight up a first round pick?
3: Uh, I believe there might have been a and couple other they, like pieces I, involved, but that was essentially it. it was a, Minnesota Wild got Mark Andre Fleury? Chicago Blackhawks got a first round pick.
0: But, see, for the Bruins, then they would have to turn around and get rid of that first-round pick for something like that to get an actual piece and use that first-round pick to to go after Noah Hannafin. Because more than likely, you're trading Allmark to a team that needs a goalie, but that team might not be the team that has who you want on it. So you have to find a way to to turn it around and make another move with whatever you get from them. So
3: Yeah, and I'm I'm totally okay with that. Like, if, if you're... Razor, I think you're right. It's probably not going to be a straight-up hockey trade where you trade Lena Allmark for top six forward or top four defenseman. Maybe that's out there, but I, I kind of doubt it too. But if you trade him for the assets or asset that allows you to turn around and then go make that other trade to bring in that impact skater, like that makes sense to me as well. And so I guess like I would point out, because they've been linked to Noah Hannafin for a while, and salary-wise, that lines up. So let's say it's more or less that. Like, Almar goes out and Hannafin comes in. And maybe there's an extra asset or two somewhere along the way. But if it's essentially that, would you do it?
2: No, I wouldn't because Noah Hannafin doesn't solve six-on-five or all these other issues that we just talked about, blowing leads. I think you get you could end. And Noah Hannafin's probably coming here in the summer anyways. Why would you give up a, a, a huge asset for a guy who prob- who wants to come here, who's openly said he wants to come here, and is probably the reason why he hasn't got traded is because everyone around the league is talking how he wants to go to Boston and he wants to sign with Boston. So, well,
3: th- does that maybe lower his trade value a little bit?
2: It certainly does. So maybe you don't have to give up the first rounder. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, I, of course. I'm. I'm f-
0: and it also makes your team better when you need them to be better this year in the playoffs. Like, Correct. You, you can't.
2: We, we just we just backed into a lot of ifs, though. That's yeah, my we only did. thing. <laughs> it's, it's, we just backed into a lot of ifs. So it's like, I hate doing the fantasy football trades. Like, let's be realistic about this. And the context to it, Billy Guerin was the general manager of the Minnesota Wild at that time who won a Stanley Cup with Marc-Andre Fleury, who loves Marc-Andre Fleury, won't trade him, loves him more than anything, and is happy to give up a first-rounder. At the same time, he was buying out like 30 contracts just to get his buddy Marc-Andre Fleury. So a little context to that deal as well sure. is that you know there's no Leonis Allmark lovers like Bill Guerin loves Marc-Andre Fleury out there. So I, I think that mark has changed a little bit, even if it was just a couple of years ago. Uh, it, it's... <sighs> I want to see deals get made. I want to see the Boston Bruins get better. I, I think I think we're all on the same page there. I just don't know if the goalie is the piece that is going to substantially do that. I I am I think they're going to have to get more creative and find different ways to do it. That's my only thing. I think they would trade them if they can make their team better. I really do. But I th- I guess my thing is I don't think that that's possible. That that's because I just haven't seen it happen. I haven't seen any trades. Made in the NHL, uh, other than Calgary, Winnipeg, Montreal, and Vancouver, um, no one else is dealing, and and a lot of other teams and a lot of other goalies have been more thrown out there. Like the Markstrom thing, right? We've heard Markstrom for months, and why is no one making that deal? Like Calgary would love to make that deal, and, and they've asked him to, to take to waive his no trade, and no one's doing it. So why is that? And and usually I get to someone's not giving enough or or not taking enough
0: yeah i i lean more with razor on this i i like the premise scott of it's okay to but i'm 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 more apt to do what you're saying and to trade out money and potentially not 100 percent win the trade maybe you don't get quite as much back um if it's maybe jake DeBrusque, or if it's macras like and you have to give up a little bit more to get rid of his his salary like it
2: what about oh, one of your prospects? What about Beecher, Lizel, then- or any of these guys? We keep seeing guys. We keep hearing. Well, the Bruins are not your prospects, and then you look at their third, their fourth line last night. There are three guys that started in the minors that are all developing pretty well? Like they're they're coming up and contributing and playing. So, can can I? Like I would be. That might one. There might be a lot more value there. Two, are those guys more? Isn't it easier to get those guys out the door than than a goalie who just won the Vesna and who's actually really contributing right now? Well,
3: yeah, that, it it is, but that doesn't solve the money issue. That's what I so was so going to yeah. say. I'm still going to figure that part out, and that's where, Bridget, to your point, maybe it's a Grizzly, Forbert, even if you're targeting a forward, even maybe DeBrusque. Um, the the issue there, so Rizzy, you're right. Like they they have guys who can come up and contribute. Now I would say the guys on the fourth line are. Our guys who have been around, right? Like Anthony Richard and Justin Brazeau have don't have much NHL experience, but they're 26, 27 years old. Um, with their top prospects, like the issue there is you have so few young players who have top six or top four upside. So if you think, you know, I think Mason Laura is already getting close to that. Like he he's played top four minutes on this road trip and held his own just fine. So if you think he's a future top four defenseman, that's tough to give up because you don't really have another one of those. Yeah, you're not uh, trading Lowry. No.
0: Can I bring up a name that we haven't talked about in a while because he's out for the rest of the season? Matt Patra. Like, again, again. are are they move? Are they willing to move Matt Patra for uh, a top six forward? I know in, in some sort of a package. Probably it's not just going to be. Matt Potra but that's someone that we talked about in the beginning of the season as being like untouchable but I'm sure the Bruins are taking calls about you know about prospects and he would be someone on that list that people might be interested in cuz he's so young and he has potential in the future and how much do the Bruins value that center prospect um and you know maybe another team's looking for that it's not going to help them this year but you're talking about a seller so they're not trying to make a playoff run this year anyway
3: Yeah it, it- in terms of like, legitimate blue chip type prospects, like it's basically those two: Lori Patra and Fabian Lysel. Like that—that's essentially it. Even you know, Georgi Merkulov is lighting up the HL, but he's also what twenty-three years old. Like he's he's further along in his development, so the ceiling's probably a little lower. Um, all right, let's let's get uh, the phone lines involved here. Let's go to go to Maria from Watertown, our our usual leadoff hitter. Maria, good morning. What do you got? Okay.
1: Good good morning, Razor. I'm going to disagree with you, but I'm going to do it respectfully because I, I think this issue is not just a six v five. It starts with five v five, and I frankly am sick and tired of hearing the you know Brandon Carlo in the post game and Coach Montgomery in the post game, blah 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 blah, saying the same things over and over again and not effectuating any change. When do we start holding this coaching staff accountable for what is transpiring on the ice. These are not small sample sizes at this point. And last I checked, bend, don't break, doesn't work in this new NHL. And so I'm, I'm, I'm baffled about, you know, why when, when you've got Brezzo, Re, Anthony Richard, Boquist, those guys were your best players last night. Your best line. I didn't see them making any egregious mistakes. Then, yet, when I go and I look at their ice time, they're they're virtually all under 12 minutes of ice time for a full game. So, you know, I I think that the coaching staff needs to start looking themselves in the mirror as well as, as these core players and figuring out why they can't close out a game. Good teams, any good team in any sport, has the ability before it even gets to overtime to close out their opponents and this is not a cycle that is going to lend itself for any sustained playoff success so i again i'm i'm baffled i'm aggravated and i'm frustrated because it's it's time to stop talking and it's time to start making whatever changes that coach Montgomery alluded to last night in his post game about looking at the personnel on the ice.
3: All right. Thank, thank you, Maria. Great, great call. Passion.
0: I thought she might be like going down that road. We thought like, calling and, <laughs> and asked for Montgomery to get fired. No, but she was holding, she was holding him more accountable than we have so far. We're kind of blaming some of the players, but obviously coaching is involved in this and, um, She's not happy, and I didn't think that the changes that he made to the power play units helped at all. I, I thought the power play units looked terrible against Vancouver, moving DeBrusque and Geeky to that top unit, did not do anything to help their, their cause. They went 0 for 4, and, um, you know, those those adjustments that he made didn't work. So there's there's got to be more to come.
3: Yeah, and, and, Nika, I don't know if we have this ready to go, but Montgomery, after the game, talked about maybe he's going to the, the same well too many times talking specifically about the, the six on five situations. Um, but he, yeah, like you, I think it's, it is fair to question coaching's role in this, you know, we hear Montgomery and it sounds like he sounds like he can identify the issues. He says they sat back too much. He wants them to be more aggressive, you know, maybe try different personnel, but at some point when it keeps happening, like is, is, is it getting through? Like it, Okay, so let, let's hear from Montgomery. We, we got this. The number of uh, overtimes taking its toll here,
1: I think. Five in a row. Um, yeah, I mean, we haven't been good enough, right? A lot of points squandered. Um, and I have to look at, you know, uh,
2: the player usage and who's, who's on the ice. Like, we know it already, but um, I'm probably going to the well too often with the same players. That's overtime, right? Uh, it, it sounded like he was talking overtime there and uh, it's hard. It, the overtime has been a pro Like the, it's so funny, right? Because Calgary overtime was awesome. They hit posts. They had chances. They lost, but that was fun. It's, it's the ones with two any men on the ice or the turnover at center ice like that. That's what annoys everybody. Cause it's that last thing you think of, or the last highlight you see, um, but the overtime is the overtime and it would be a huge problem if this team had 65 points and was fighting their lives off to get into the playoffs. You'd be really screaming at the television about overtime. They're in a position where it's three out three. It's not going to be the same. It's it's the closeout and, and what is being coached. We haven't heard it. We haven't really seen it. And I'm intrigued or interested in, in what... That is because that is something that can be criticized. If this is what it's supposed to look like, how conservative it is. The, Montgomery's talked earlier in the season when when this started happening that they want to be more aggressive and they get too much in the shell, like they did in Game Seven, like they did last night, like that slapper from the top of the like what we've never seen the Bruins get a six on five slapper from Charlie McAvoy at the top of the. Slot right down the middle with traffic in front. That's an impo- like yeah, that's an impossible shot to get. There has to be a reason why that's happening and why the Bruins are allowing that to happen. And, and of course on uh, on a big level that does fall on the coaches. And and why is that? What is the strategy? What is the technique in their six on five? Because right now it looks too too conservative. Like I, I want to see them just go. And if they give up a seam pass to somebody. Um, on the other side, and, and Swayman has to dive across and make a save. Get him, let him have that chance rather than the screenshot that he can't see.
3: Yeah, it's it's Montgomery's talked about this a little bit with the penalty kill too, talking about you know the penalty kill struggles which have now been going on for a couple months, and it's almost like they get caught in between where it's like one guy pressures, but other guys have fallen back, or you know guys fall like they don't seem to all be in sync, they don't seem to all be moving the same way. And I think in those six on five situations, it's, it's kind of the same thing. It's like either everyone has to be aggressive and pressure or everyone's fallen back. And you go into like prevent events, go into a shell, just block the front of the net or whatever. And it's almost like they're in this middle ground where it's like guys are out high and not collapsing low, but they're not quite aggressively pressuring. And it's like, that doesn't accomplish anything. You like, you got to pick one or the other. And, yeah, if they decide to go aggressive, I'm cool with that. Like, go ahead. Try to score your empty net goal. Try to force turnovers. But they're not not—they're not doing that right now.
0: Yeah, and then that brings you to, like, okay, what's the personnel you'd want on the ice in that situation? You'd, you'd probably look to guys who are good pressuring towards the point, like, I mean, Dan Heinen's pretty good at it, Charlie Coyle's pretty good at that. When you when you hear him talk about we go to the well with the same players too many times, it makes me think like, okay, who are we not going to be seeing in those situations anymore? And and who are the guys he wants to lean on in in six on five and and, and in overtime, like you said, he he was alluding to that as well. Like guys that you trust in those positions that you need to close out games or win games to get the extra point.
3: Yeah, I mean, you know, you don't want to like pick on specific guys, but Pavel Zaka does seem to be in the middle of a lot of these. He he lost the two key defenses on face-offs on Saturday. Early in the season, I remember, you know, a game where he had multiple chances to clear and couldn't get the puck out of the zone. That's come up a few times. Um, you know, Forbert's easy to pick on, but he's on for a couple of those. Like, so, I don't know. You know, maybe maybe it is, hey, give, you know, McAvoy, Lori like, more aggressive defensemen a chance. Maybe, you know, maybe that's better than sitting back and trying to block a shot. Um, yeah, maybe it is Wings who are going to be more aggressive. Maybe, maybe it's just getting that fourth line on the ice, right? Maybe just go with the momentum of the game, and guys who are, you know, who are playing well that night, give them a chance to close it out. Like, I, but something obviously has to change, because Montgomery just said it. Like, the guys that they're going with, aren't aren't getting it done
2: no no but you know you still you you there's certain guys that have to be out there right like that's why you pay (laughs) guys nine and a half million like i i I played in the league for a long time i never saw a fourth liner get thrown over the boards with a minute left in a 2-1 game like it just yes the idea of it like is this like it's like when the when you have Henrik Lundqvist and he loses six games in a row and everyone's clamoring for the backup to go in. Right. It's like, give me the backup. He's so much better, but it's like, no, there's a reason why the backup makes 500 grand. And the guy in that makes 10 million. Like you play those guys. Like that's, that's how the, that's how it works. Um, I agree. There's times when you can get different looks and you can give guys different opportunities. It's just really hard. I mean, you would have a lot of uh, a lot of guts if you're a coach continually sending over your fourth line in a six on five opportunity with guys that make ten million dollars sitting on the bench looking back over their shoulders at you like what's going on here? That it, again, it's like the idea of like making like nine different moves to get get a six top six forward. It's 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 not quite practical all the time.
0: Well, and and this was an argument that I, I we had talked about and heard like. Do you want David Pasternak on the ice to try to seal the win, like with an empty nickel, goal, or is he someone you want to, you know, keep out of that that extra attacker situation?
2: He's one of the best players in the world. I, I want him out there. That that's me. Maybe maybe I'm crazy. Maybe you know, I'm seeing something different. But I want the guy who has one of the best sticks, the best shots, the best vision uh, out there in that situation. And and yeah, he's probably not going to block a shot with his face, but. Um, he his side of the ice is usually cleaned up pretty well.
3: Yeah, I, I was gonna like I actually don't think Pasternak's been a huge issue in these situations. No. So I, I know like he gets picked on by certain people in the media here, and you know be like, oh, he doesn't play defense. Why put him out there? Well, I, I'm on the side of I would rather them be more aggressive, yeah. and try to pressure for that turnover, that winning goal, take shots at the empty net. So I want Pasternak on the ice there. Uh, all right, we got we got another break here, but. Got another call. I see that. You can join us, 617-779-7937. Text in 37937. Sunday Skate continues after this.
1: Now, more of the guys. Scott McLaughlin and Andrew Razor Raycroft. It's Sunday Skate on WEEI.
3: Sunday skin is back. More of the guys. I'm Scottie and, and with Andrew Razor Raycross. Still working And on the this. girl Bridget Pry. We're,
0: we're still working on the intro, I guess. We uh, get we'll get that, that.
3: We'll get that please. done. <laughs> Bothers me. We're, we're yeah. gonna we're gonna make a trade for a new intro uh, before the deadline. Yes, that's, please. That's what we're doing.
0: I'm willing. I'm willing to give up assets <laughs> to get <laughs> that fixed.
3: All right. Uh, let's go to Jay in North Carolina, uh, who has some some thoughts on the Bruins.
1: Good morning, Jay. Good morning, folks. The Lunch Pail crew, the Tide Diehards on a Sunday. Good to talk to you. Listen, uh, I want to tell you that the uh, defense wins championships and the defense begins with the goalies. You've got two of the best goalies in the league, the tandem of the best goalies in the league. I wouldn't even think of trading them. But as I say, uh, the, the Bru- i watch watched the Bruins. They have a good chemistry among them. I w- if it works... Don't fix it, and I think it was uh, Ray Cross' point about playing the money. <laughs> That's a good point. Tough to de- tough to talk about that.
3: All right, thanks, Jay. Uh, so on on the on the goalies, l- listen, I think to explain like where my changes come is, you know, I was of the of the mindset that you only trade all mark if you're getting a a great haul in return. Basically, if someone's overpaying. What's changed for me is I'm now open to it doesn't necess- necessarily have to be maximum value. But, Razor, I, I am curious about this, though, because we talk about two goalies being a strength. Does that continue to be a strength in the playoffs? Would you be open to the rotation? Would you be open to using both? Or Because I kind of feel like if if you're going to go back to, hey, just ride the hot hand like how much value does having two great goalies how much does that carry in the playoffs
2: I don't know um like I, I just keep i just keep going back to like the circumstance of the playoffs and we keep talking about like the the the, the how the playoffs shake out and i think last year was such an example of like you don't you need things to fall your way and you need matchups to be bright but that, that, I guess that's separate to your question. Your question about the goaltenders, I, I don't see how a rotation works. I, I've explained why I don't think a rotation works. I, I don't think you go in saying this is going to be a solid rotation no matter what happens. We're not making any adjustments to it. We're just going to roll a rotation. Because inevitably and inevitably it's going to happen. Goalie's going to lose one nothing game one. The next goal, is going to win five four. The next game, the next goal, going to lose one nothing. Game four, the next guy is going to win five four and barely hang on. And now you're looking at game five, a pivotal game. One goalie's given up two goals on a hundred shots in two games. The other goalie's given up eight shots, eight goals on forty shots. But he's got two wins. Who are you playing in game five? Are you going back to the guy that's lost? Are you going back to like it? Just causes so much angst within the team and with the goalies and the coaches. Guys just want to go with one guy. Now, I know you're going to need two goalies to win a Stanley Cup. I think that's been proven the last couple of years, unless you have Andre Vasilevsky. But to get out of the first round, and that's really the only focus of all of these teams is to get out of the first round and we'll deal with the rest, is you probably only need one guy. And I guess that takes away from the argument that you need two guys as strength. But I think that with this team, with this group, you just can't afford... To, to not have both of these guys playing till the end of the season. And you really hope, you really, really hope that one of them takes the ball and runs with it for the first time in three years because they haven't done it, right? I, and, and maybe that's a little bit on the goalies too, right? Like we don't hear a lot of goalie chatter like maybe the six on fives on the goalies. I love both goalies. I think they're they're the greatest people. They're great goaltenders. I would want them on my team all day, every day, but maybe they need to make a save six on five. Maybe they needed to make a save in the playoffs. Maybe these goalies aren't good enough. Like, and and maybe that's makes it harder to trade one of them because we don't know if either one of them can actually do it. And we're maybe we're a little like all of those things add into it. So, the, the two-goalie thing does cause problems come playoff time. Uh, I think you need one of them, but I think also you can get one of these guys to get on a hot streak for just six days. Just six days. That's all I want to steal two victories in a playoff round in the middle of April.
0: It is so funny, like, listening to you talk about how they need two goalies, and then, like, you're like, no, we're not going two goalies in the playoffs. Uh, But, like, so here's my thing, and I'm not going to, like, question your – like, your knowledge comes from being a goalie and understanding goaltenders way more than I do. But in your situation where you're explaining, like, you split goaltending, you know, one loses the first game, one wins the second game, first guy loses another game – then at that point you 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 know you rotate the first four games and then you're like okay now we might have settled on someone like once we see the little bit of a sample size in the playoffs and who's going at the time then you can take that guy and roll with it but to start out I don't think it's like day 1 we're going all mark whole series because that also backfired and caused angst like you mentioned when it was when it's like okay well we have this other goalie that's right here ready to go he is chomping at the bit to get in, and then you put him in in Game 7, and and he didn't have – you know, it was just a tough situation to come in.
3: Right. We, we did a couple of those episodes. Oh, yeah. A couple of those shows last year where it was, do you make the change now? Yeah. Did they wait too long to make the change? Like, you're going to swim in cold for Game 7. So I think either way, if you have two really good goalies, unless the guy you start with just runs with it and is excellent throughout the playoffs – there's going to be issues regardless because you're going to have that other goalie who you know is really good. And you're going to, even if you're not doing a rotation, you're going to have those questions of, okay, well, all Mark a little off for one game. Okay. But then he bounced back. Oh, but then he looked a little off again. And now it's like, all right, is one bad game enough to make the change? Is two bad games enough. Like, or, or not even bad games, mediocre games. Okay. Games one soft goal. Like, no matter what, if you have two really good goalies, you're going to have those questions of how, when and how do you make changes. So I think those those problems are there almost regardless. But I, I would say if they're going to keep both goalies and rotate them down the stretch here, if that's working as you get to the playoffs, like it, this was my thing last year, keep doing whatever's working in the regular season. So if they're both playing well down the stretch and you're rotating, keep it going in the playoffs. That's where I am. Is like, if you're going to keep them because they're the, this great asset, then you better be willing to use them. Like, like don't then at, don't, don't then try to ride one of them for seven straight games. When you, you said it. they haven't done it. And you, well, and now I will say Swayman hasn't gotten that chance to be the number one from game one. Right, the last two years it's been Ulmark who started the series and Swayman's ended up finishing it.
2: Yeah, and, and Swayman played the five straight at the end uh against Carolina. I, I think I think this year might lend itself a little easier to go to a rotation if there ever was one, because neither one of them are gonna be Vesna trophy guys. I think, you know, again, Linus Ulmark lost six games all year or something ridiculous. Um so no one ever thought he was gonna lose four. In a week i mean that was my whole thing how is this team going to lose four games in in eight days they did uh shockingly but you, you this year lends itself because neither one of they have kind of been the same you know i know swayman went to the all-star game but they've essentially been the same i think Allmark had some tougher games than swayman at this like they could be pretty identical and and so maybe that lends itself to the rotation i just internally it is really difficult to Just like it is really difficult for these guys that are actually making these deals, actually making these calls to worry about the goaltender on a daily basis. Just like it's going to be difficult in Toronto because they don't have a goalie. They have three guys that are okay. That's a very difficult situation as well. And they would probably rather have two really good guys and think about a rotation rather than wondering who's actually going to make a save for them. So the goaltending is always Difficult. Different kind
0: different kind of rotation. Yes, exactly.
2: <laughs> or Detroit Red Wings, right? They're getting in the playoffs. They have Alex Lyon, who we know is gonna suck in game two, just like he did here in Boston. Like it, it's going it's inevitable. Uh really, it's Vasileski's the only guy. And and probably the Rangers. But even then with Shesterkin, you're gonna get some calls for quick if they lose a couple of games because it's Shesterkin losing. So I look at this Eastern Conference and I see a goalie issue everywhere. Philadelphia Flyers, Sam Erson, a rookie. What's how's he gonna do? So it it, everyone has their own little battles with the goaltending and that this is the Bruins. This is always going to be the Bruins until these guys are here. We're always going to talk about it. It, It's not a position of weakness though. And you just want one of them to grab the ball and and post three shutouts. G gear guy, like in the first round so we can get through the first round and then all the talk, then you can play both guys because then it won't matter as much. It's the first five games that everyone's concerned about, right? Once you get through that, Once you get to game 16 of the playoffs, someone else can play, and it's not going to really change things.
3: All right. We got hour two of Sunday skate coming up. We're going until 11 a.m. Scott McLaughlin, Andrew Raycroft, Bridget Pru. Colin, tell us what you think. Do the Bruins need to do do something big? Should they trade a goalie? Are you open to it? 617-779-7937. We'll be back right after this.